Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One today on You Forgot One, Modern Vampires of the City by Vampire Weekend. Micaiah, it is the third album from Vampire Weekend. What do our listeners need to know about Modern Vampires of the City? Well, it comes out uh, in the year 2013, which is a very good year for music. We've already done another album from that year, Trouble Will Find Me by The National. Um, and there's there's really no shortage of, of good albums that year, but Vampire Weekend has a history of uh, putting on an album on, on a good music year. Um, their debut album was in 2008, which was a huge success, and... Um, so much so that by the 2012 Rolling Stone list, the first album made it onto the Rolling Stone 500 list. Their second album came out not long after in 2010, which was a huge um, hit for them. Debuted at number one, um, and they were in their late 20s. Rostam was 27 years old when he produced that record. You know, so these are very young, very talented people who write very interesting music. Um, that also people really enjoy listening to. It's not too heady, you know. It it it, it it's good pop music that is um, very complex uh, musically and lyrically. And I think that uh, very quickly, Rostin became a sought-after producer, and Ezra Koenig, uh, the writer and singer, um, very quickly was like recognized as kind of one of the great songwriters. You know of, of that time the, that late 2000s early 2010s and uh so they're touring extensively and that brings us to modern vampires and this is the third album um a lot of bands and artists the third album is is a landmark um this is actually so far on our list we have 10 third albums mm-hmm. this will be our 11th one so the it's, it's almost as important as a debut album or a final album, the third album. A lot of bands think that that's when they really hit it. Yeah, and then when they made the 2020 Rolling Stone list, sure enough, in the 300s, um, the debut album is gone, and this one's there. So, I mean, it's, you know, and it's time being recognized as being one of the all-time great albums. I mean, so much so that uh, Ezra gets tapped to write and produce on a Beyonce album mm-hmm. on 2016's Lemonade. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're a big deal. So there's, uh, it shouldn't be too big a surprise to people why we would end up talking about Vampire Weekend and this album in particular. It's interesting because I, I had not thought about the idea that we have so many third albums, but I, I do have kind of a thought process behind that. M- most bands that have some promise have built a fan base and have, you know, played clubs and have, have probably really honed in the first handful of songs that make it onto that debut album. And so it's not at all uncommon for bands to have the sophomore slump, which is, you know, you've had years to work on the stuff that ends up on your first album. And now within a short period of time, you're working on a second album without the same, uh, without the same ability to, to really kind of road test music the way that you had before. And Vampire Weekend doesn't have that problem. Like Contra is a very solid album. Um, 
that I think it is as good as their debut album. You, you, I know you might disagree with me on that, but I think it is as good as their debut album. But then you're right. Like a lot of bands, something happens between that second and third album. And I think for vampire weekend, it was deciding whether or not this is really the life they want because so many bands, when they get, when they start out, they're young. So again, these are young men. These are guys that meet at Columbia university um, and begin playing together there. Uh, essentially they are fresh college graduates when they um, release their first album. Um, and here they are, now to the end of their 20s, beginning of their 30s. And you're kind of figuring out, all right, well, we've released these two albums, we've toured, and, and you're kind of struggling with this idea of, all right, this dream of being a musician, this dream of, of doing music, is this really the life that I want? And like a lot of artists, that third album generally is an album that they're spending more time on than they are on previous albums. It's, it's typically an album that there's a maturation process that has happened. And there's something about that third album where um, they've kind of found their voice. And so I think that's, that's generally true for third albums of great artists and great bands, but man, is that true for vampire weekend and one of the things that i find so compelling about this album is that it's not just maturation in terms of subject matter and it definitely is they are dealing with subjects that are much heavier than the first two albums uh ezra is is writing uh pretty blatantly about um mortality and religion and broken relationships and i mean there's there's a lot of heaviness that is on this album but i actually think the most maturation that takes place on this album is the incredible leap in production that we hear on this album so you know rostam has basically played every instrument in <laughs> every instrument other than drums and bass um, and even based on some of the first two albums. But Rostam is basically the super multi-instrumentalist songwriter um, who is behind producing the first two albums. On this third one, they bring in an outside producer and it's a co-production job. But the the attention to detail, the way that it is produced is so beautifully layered. Um, it is a much more maturely produced album. and And I wonder if that's kind of what I'm hearing when I listen to this album, that, that third album jump that vampire weekend makes, they're still writing great songs. There's, they still can write a catchy hook. Ezra is a singer that I enjoy. He's a lyricist that I enjoy, but there is a jump in production from their first two albums to this one that I think really, especially this week after listening to their entire discography multiple times, that jump into the production on this third album um, is really something. I, I don't want to say that like the other two aren't also incredibly well produced records. Cause I think that these three as a trilogy is very hard. I think for a band to have like a one to have a definitive sound, but to also have three albums to have an individual sound. And I think that's one of the great accomplishments of these first three records is to, they're all very Vampire Weekend, but they're also very, the debut album, very Contra, very Modern Vampires. 
they're very distinct and yet like uh, very much vampire weekend well, Makai, let's let's go ahead and take a break here. Um, I want to give an opportunity for our listeners to hear from our sponsor, um, Mirror Coffee Roasters. And I'm also excited to let you know that Anchor, who has long been a sponsor of ours, Anchor is now Spotify for podcasters. And so we are so excited to begin this new relationship with Spotify for Podcasters, which isn't a new relationship at all. We've been using uh, this service to do every single episode of the podcast so far. And uh, we love this service. Uh, It used to be Anchor. It is now uh, Spotify for Podcasters. And we're excited to let you hear more about them in the break. So we'll be back with some music from Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampires of the City in a conversation about this album. I want to take a second and tell you a little bit about Mirror Coffee Roasters. Mirror Coffee Roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee, farm to cup. The goal at Mirror Coffee Roasters has always been to use coffee as a tool for change. Whether that's a bag of coffee on your kitchen counter or creating a sustainable, human-focused sourcing practice that goes far beyond generic marketing labels. No matter how you enjoy your coffee, Mirror Coffee Roasters is here to help you on your journey and elevate your coffee experience. I want to encourage you to go to their website, mirrorcoffeeroasters.com today and check out their coffee box a four-bag sampler box of some of their best coffees from Colombia, Guatemala, and Ethiopia. Check out Mirror Coffee Roasters today. Rasta said to people, Babylon, you don't know what to say. Rasta said to people, Babylon, you don't know what to do. King Rasta, come now soon. First album, huge success. Or, I mean, it's not that it was a success, but I, I loved it and listened to it constantly, especially that summer. Contra comes out, and it just wasn't what I wanted from them. But yeah, so when, when the third album came out, I kind of be like, oh, well, you know, we'll see what it's about. And they released Step as the first single. And I, I think I got a minute in, and I paused, and I was just like, like gathering everyone who was around me. I was like, okay, is everybody hearing this? Like, this is insane. This is so good. Yeah. Like I, I could like I, 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 I couldn't even finish the song. I, I just had to rewind it and like listen to it again. I was just blown away. Um, I thought it was that uh, that song was so amazing. And uh, it comes out month after I graduate from college, mm-hmm. and they had also played um, the last episode of SNL. Kristen Wiig came back to host. They were the musical guest, um, and it was awesome and then the cd comes out and it starts with obvious bicycle which for a, a now college graduate you're like oopsie uh that that it, it's just 
boom. And then it, also I was a you know history major and a religion major. So I, everything that I'd ever thought about for four years is being conceptualized musically uh, by this band who I've been listening to since I graduated high school. So the, the first album comes out when I'm about to graduate high school. This one comes out right when I graduate college. So like they're kind of a perfect band for me mm-hmm. in that time of my life. Yes. You know, so they, they've always been kind of pretty special band for me. You know, like if they have a new album come out, I, I'm going to go to the record store and buy it. I'm, I'm not going to like stream it first. Like, oh, let me just make sure I like it. Like I'm going to pick it up. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're one of those bands for me. Very similar to you. When I heard modern vampires, I think I was probably two or three songs in and I went, this is the best album of the year. Like there was, there will be nothing that will come close. It was my album of 2013. Um, you and I have talked about this. It's my favorite album from the 2010s and there isn't a close second. It was the pitchfork album of the year in 2013. It was the pop matters album of the year in 2013. It was the rolling stone album of the year in 2013. It was the slant magazine album of the year in 2013. It was the under the radar album of 2013. Um, almost everyone else had it in their top five, according to Metacritic and acclaimed music. It's the highest ranked record of 2013. And it has shown up in nearly every list of best albums of the 2010s, pretty highly ranked. I mean, most, most lists that have it in the best albums of the 2010s have it in the top 10 of the entire decade. Um, and so even for a band that's this good across those first three albums, there's something about this album that it takes very little into this album. And again, this is a band that can sometimes front load albums with great hits. And so it takes longer to get into the second half of the albums, but two or three tracks into modern vampires of the city. I'm just going, yeah, this is the album of the year. Nothing, nothing else will be this good. Morning's come, you watch the red sunrise. The LED still flickers in your eyes. Oh, you ought to spare your face the razor. Because no one's gonna spare the time for you. No one's gonna watch you as you go. From a house you didn't build and can't control Oh, you ought to spare your face the razor Because no one's gonna spare the time for you You ought to spare the world you labor It's been 20 years and no one's told the truth So listen Well, it's 12 tracks long, just under 43 minutes. And Micaiah, we don't have a guest with us today because you and I are going to go track by track. 
through this album. Yeah. And it makes, you know, we did a similar thing about this time last year with the nationals, 2013 album, uh, trouble will find me, which is my favorite album from 2013. Um, so I guess it's fitting that it's just the two of us for your favorite album of 2013. And they are two albums where I don't feel like we felt like we needed an expert to come in mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, help, help us. And our listeners break this down. It's like, I think we get these two records. Like these, these, these are from our time. These are the records that we love the most from that year, from that decade. So I feel confident, right. That we can, have a pretty good and fun discussion about about these tracks. The album opens with a sample of a drum, or not a drum, a a percussion instrument um, from Keep Cool Babylon by Ross Michael. And this is a Jamaican album um, that is using a particular instrument that essentially, is, if I understand correctly, is shells, is is shells that more or less imagine like a chain of shells. And that's essentially what's being being shaken or hit. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into this album. But you would almost expect if that's the reference coming in, you, you would almost expect the album to immediately come back in to similar to the first two albums here's a band who's fascinated with caribbean music with dub music with reggae music Uh, obvious bicycle is a very kind of slow build entrance to this great album and it's a song that has over the years it's, it's a song i've always loved but it's really become one of my favorites on the album over the years Tell me what you think about the opening track for this album. This okay, so the when this CD came out, my girlfriend and I went to Target. We picked up the CD and we drove around in her car listening to it. And this song came on and I think I talked over it the whole time because I was just like, "Oh my god. This is amazing. Are you hearing this? What are they doing?" You know, just like at everything, just like the drum sounds so amazing. I thought it was the best opening to an album. I mean, like look, look at this album compared to their other their openers. I mean, there's I mean it's truly, truly unique. Um, yeah, I mean the the way the vocals are recorded, the you know the, some of the images that it evokes um, is 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 a perfect college graduate song. And I think Ezra's talked about how kind of a the narrator or the character of other youthful or youth inspired vampire weekend songs kind of having a little bit of a reckoning, you know, it, it opens with the existential crisis, you know, but it's still very vampire weekend because it, it has that literal, I mean, it's a sample. They're not a recreation it's not an interpolation. Like they're, they're using a sample from this reggae song. Um, so it's, it's very open about where their influence is coming from, but, but this is so far from a reggae song, just things like, falling asleep on the floor of a high school gym. Like there's, there's just some images in there that just like really just like really hit me. Mm-hmm. Just like, Oh man, this is, this is awesome. I mean, this is like really sets the tone for this record. When you get the cover, right? This is the opener you expect to hear, mm-hmm. right? There is something, you know, for a May release, you're like, Oh wow, this is not giving up the gun. Um, so this album 
we're we're not getting contra part two or anything or we're not getting a return to form with the first album we we're getting something new here that's very exciting very ambitious and like you were saying earlier like very personal i think the reason that this is my favorite album of the 2010s definitely my favorite album of the of 2013 in one of personally my favorite probably 50 albums of all time this is an album that so rewards repeated listening it, it is an album no matter how many times i hear it if i listen to it in a different way if i listen to it on different speakers if i put the headphones on and listen to, like there are new things i discover and i love the really subtle building of a motif in the chorus of this song that pays off later in Yahe in in the background but again it's one of those things that like you may not notice that the first time you listen to that song but the more you go back to this song after hearing this whole album you see how like just the the ways in which uh rostam and ariel who are the co-producers of this album the way in which that there's so many easter eggs in this album that pay off after repeated listenings and and i like the the ones that we get in this first song you know, not not unlike a musical, mm-hmm. where you're you're setting kind of up, uh, setting up different phrases and motifs and sonic textures, right? They're going to be through lines, right throughout. And, and the next track sets up like another kind of song, mm-hmm. and another kind of texture and a layer that's also going to be carried through. listeners of the show know you're a pastor yep what happens to you when you're listening to the new vampire weekend and and unbelievers is the second track i mean this is this is something else ezra sings about god sings about mortality sings about religion in a way that any thoughtful person any person who is maybe a a cynic at heart, which is which is me sometimes. Anyone for whom faith is very difficult, which is definitely me. There's something that I love in 
not just the honesty, but the playfulness of the honesty. And I will say, I think the three songs on this album, Unbelievers being the first of those three, that most straightforwardly deal with uh, religion and his understanding and relationship to God, they are three of the most upbeat, happy songs on the album. And, and I love the juxtaposition of those things. I, I love the idea of of someone kind of joyfully singing, girl, you and I will die unbelievers bound to the tracks of a train. What about you, Mikai? As, as a religion major who had just graduated college when this album came out. Yeah, no, I... I loved it. And I loved that it's this kind of, you know, it has that uh, kind of a shuffle kind of sound on the guitar. It has that organ. So it is like a very, there are sounds that it's not an early rock and roll kind of song. It's not really a Ray Charles kind of song or anything, but right. It is related to that. It's that familiarity thing. It's not pastiche, right? But there's something there just by using that like church organ sound. You know, and that and that kind of shuffled it. Like it sounds like something related to gospel music and the early rock and roll era that was pulling from gospel. You know, so just which is not a place they'd ever gone before, right? So just already like this is interesting. But you know, we know the fire awaits unbelievers. You know, all the sinners the same is great, but then also. You know, I'm not excited, but should I be, you know, is this a fate that half of the world is playing for me? I know I love you. You love the sea, but what holy water contains a little drop for me? Mm-hmm. I thought that was just, that's like what you love Ezra for. It's like, that's yeah. the kind of songwriting that you, you sign up for. Uh, again, listeners to the podcast will know I have a great affinity for Bob Dylan's gospel period. Um and, and maybe a strange fascination with it. And in some ways, the second verse of this song it reminds me so much of the world's response to Dylan's gospel period. Yeah. Where he says, if I'm born again, I know that the world will disagree. You want a little grace, but who's going to save a little grace for me? Like mm-hmm. this kind of relationship, the the conflict of... Uh, religious people and the incoherence of what they say they believe versus the way they treat people. And, and so I, I, I hear that there. And again, it's one of those things that like, I couldn't agree with more. It's, it is, it's a very early rock and roll song to just be like, I'm, I'm bound for hell. Like no matter what you think about me, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm a good guy, I'm going to hell because I'm not born again. Even if, even if I were to say I was born again, you wouldn't even believe me, you know? So, uh, you know, so what do I have left? Right. And, it, and so, you know, like, uh, you no know, love romance, but even then it doesn't necessarily seem like that's a certainty either, you know? So it's a very complex, not really a gospel song, not really a love song, you know, that just makes it a, a great vampire weekend song. Well, you know, we talked about the ways in which Vampire Weekend on this album so wears their influences on their sleeve, and never is it more obvious than in Step. Every time I see you in the world, you always step to my girl. 
like I used to front like Angle Rock, Mechanicsburg, Anchorage, Dar es Salaam. Well, I'm in New York with champagne and disco, tapes from LA slash San Francisco. But actually, Oakland and Alameda, he goes in Berkeley with a communist reader. Mine was in tune with a boombox and Walkman. I was a horrible girl that was back then. Love's in love, the wisdom teeth that I got you on about I feel it in my bones, I feel it in my bones I'm stronger now, I'm ready for the house Such a modest mouth, I can't do it alone I can't do it alone Every time I see you in the world, you always step to my girl Essentially, the the melody line is taken from the song Aubrey, originally written by the band Bread, but through the lens of a Grover Washington uh, instrumental version of it. Um, and that instrumental version is what's used in the song Step to My Girl, uh-huh. Mischief. Which right. Mischief in Step to My Girl also use YZ's Who's That Girl in the hook and so all of these things yeah. this kind of uh stew of influences all end up in this song step yeah so it's- like the the every time i see you in the world you always step to my girl that's yz um the instrumental part that's bread slash you know whatever um but the, the back back way back like that's souls of mischief so you know there there's a lot happening here but at the same time it's classic ezra you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you know, when you when you when you and when you start to like really look at the lyrics again you're like yes this is what this guy writes about this is how he writes this is his style and you just kind of realize like oh he's always been interested in hip-hop and now you're just kind of seeing how that makes sense and how they're because i mean if you were just talking about the song you'd never heard it You'd be like, I guess this is a hip hop number. And you go listen to it. No, absolutely not. Like it's God, what do you what do you call it? What what is this? It's it's not it's not a hip hop song. It's not a rock song. So I think another one of the things that we've talked about that is true more and more of music is music that defies compartmentalization or defies um genre. And and I think that that's you know, anyone who's got this, like, not strange, but let's say a wide breadth of influence, you're not going to be able to pigeonhole that music into being one type of thing. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's definitely here. This is a song. It's one of my favorite Vampire Weekend songs, period. It was released as a, a seven inch, you know, double A side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I bought it with tip money. I was working at Subway. <laughs> and I would just take all my cash chips and I could walk to the record store from work and pick up a seven inch and then go walk back to my apartment and listen to it. But this is like something where you could do like uh like vampire weekend bingo where it's like, okay, references to hip hop. Okay. References to different countries. Okay. Check, check references to uh, a girl, you know, a collegiate school and Marxism. Okay. Your girl was in Berkeley with a communist reader. Double check. Yeah. You know, you know it's just like, you, if it, this is a song where you'd be like, oh, like, 
Ezra Koenig, here's a great writer. Give me an example. I mean, this is where, you know, he writes on um, Beyonce's album, Lemonade, the song Hold Up, which is also, you know, borrowing, right? The Diplo sample is borrowing from 50s record, 60s record. Mm-hmm. It's like Paul Anker or something. Andy Williams. Yeah. It's an Andy Williams song. And, um, but he's doing like an interpolation and a play on Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's. Hold up. They don't love you like I love you. Slow down. They don't love you like, I, you know what I mean? So like, I think that, you know, so like this is, I think this is the song that gets him to Beyonce. Um, they're not very similar songs at all, Yeah. but you, you, you see Ezra having fun as a songwriter and loving other songwriters and loving different types of music. And I think that this is a great uh, example of his, like, his talents and his gifts and his interest and kind of what makes him such an interesting songwriter. You touch the side like a pile of leaves. I gotta find some better For five meters run around the bend when the government made us around you again. If Daniel won't change your mind, baby, 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 I hate to admit, I hate to admit how many times I had to listen to Diane Young. I hate to admit how many times I had to listen to this song. Uh, Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Before I got the idea that Diane Young, in my mind, Diane Young was the name of like a 1950s movie star. And, and, And I was like, no, that's not that's not the name. And I was like, oh, dying young, dying like, yeah, <laughs> dying young like a 1950s movie star. Yeah, James Dean. <laughs> you 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 were you were so close with movie star. Yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't the name of a movie star. It was what happened to young heartthrobs in the 50s. Yeah, or what happened to. Um, characters and doo-wop songs but again because the idea this is such a fun song i mean such a fun song essentially about young death and how young death should make you face your mortality in a way that young people are not willing to like like in in the way that the references he makes like you've got the luck of a kennedy like I mean, that's the best joke in any Vampire Weekend song. It it really is. It's so great and it's so well done, and I, I love it for so many reasons. Thinking about the ways in which Ezra and Rostam and Ariel are working together on this album, and I've heard Ezra interviewed about 
Diane Young being a song that like he knew there was something there, but he just like couldn't unlock it and, and felt like it was never good enough. Mm-hmm. And essentially all they did was was use like a 1980s vocal effects processor, like a box unit, like imagine like a guitar press, a, a guitar effects pedal that one you would hook up a microphone to. And so all they're doing is basically sweeping it during the first chorus, which is why his voice changes so wildly in that first collection of babies. But even that, like it's, it so sucks you in that when they hit that second verse, I mean, you're just, you're taking off, you're with him. And then the way it just builds and builds and builds and speeds up. I mean, it all, it all functions together perfectly in this way that again, so that, that like James Dean idea that like, you know, going, going fast and, in a and dying in a blaze of glory kind of situation. Like it, it so evokes that in this song. But in a vampire weekend way, right. Yeah. It's, it's not crashing like a sports car. It's you torched a sob, like a pile of leaves. Uh, you know, that's the vampire weekend way of doing it, which by the way, could be my favorite opening line to a vampire weekend song. I think uh, related, you know, I think obvious bicycle and step belong together sonically. And I think unbelievers and Diane young together belong together um, sonically. So the other one was kind of like an early rock and roll kind of gospel thing with the Oregon. And this is like a pretty straightforward kind of rock old school kind of style rock and roll song, right? This, this has the energy of Jerry Lee Lewis to it, you know, with that rebel without a cause, James Dean kind of, dangerous element uh lyrically but in, with with the very contemporary pitch correction of of the babies you know changing his voice it's not like auto-tune but like another way of approaching right uh playing with your vocals you know so i think that's um uh, it's very much it's time and it's very timeless and again the you got the luck of a kennedy joke is is so funny and this album doesn't have an a-punk it doesn't have a holiday or cousins this is the closest one it comes to that like really big like and those songs are like two and a half minutes i think this one's a little bit longer than that this one might be 240 to 240 yeah yeah okay so yeah so it's it's about the length of those songs too then but yeah, it's it's the most it's the most like intentionally accessible song on yeah. the album well it's the one that's supposed to be like you know to remind you that they wrote songs like a punk and cousins and holiday. Um, but this is the new way of doing it, mm-hmm. right? Adopting old sounds, applying new techniques, but still with old technology, you know, like it is, it's, it's just a, an incredible statement. I think on, on rock music and a, and a great pun that took Rob a long time to catch on to Rob. I, I, Uh, thank you for sharing that because I'm going to think about that every time I hear the song now if my embarrassment can bring you joy that's what I'm here for my friend
don't lie. Which I think is a uh, very consistent sonically. I think I think it's kind of bringing together everything we've heard thus far. Mm-hmm. I think sonically, um, my favorite transition in the whole album is the Diane Young into "Don't Lie." Agreed. Boom, boom, yep, boom, cat, boom, boom. You know, so like it, it. I think that's just that's that's. That's when you know you're listening to a great album and you're in, you're in good hands when you get a transition like that. You know, it's just like they were pulling no punches, you know, on, on this go around. You know, they were they're 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 doing it. Yeah. And and I think it, it kind of like the point you're you're you've made already, which is that it it ties together both sonically and thematically everything we've heard so so far but again it's really it's really doubling down on this this album is a is about existential crises it, it is i want to know does it bother you the low click of a ticking clock there's a lifetime right in front of you and everyone i know the deeply personal wrestling with our mortality is the most universal thing there is. And the way in which we all internalize that in our own ways and process through that in our own ways turns out is the most common unifying thing there is for humanity. The lyrics for this, I feel like reinforces the first four songs, but also sets the stage for everything else we're going to hear I love the way in which the end of Don't Lie sets up Hannah Hunt, which which I think might be my favorite song on the album. Rob, not only is it my favorite song on the album, I think this is the best Vampire Weekend song. And here's what's crazy about it. Hannah Hunt is the oldest song on Modern Vampires of the City. Ezra has talked about this. This is a song that he tried to get right for both of the two previous albums and there was just no way to to find a way to unlock it to make it work but he actually ezra grew up with a childhood friend named hannah hunt um not hannah um who you know had to approve essentially of him using this name in the song and ultimately he and Rostam worked together and finally kind of unlocked it while they went away on a songwriting retreat in Martha's Vineyard. It's, it's a beautiful song. It, it's so understated until it builds at the end, but I love the way it perfectly closes the A side of this album. I love that repeat of the chorus at the end as it really builds up into the, if I can't trust you, then damn it, Hannah, there's no future. There's no answer Though we live on the U S dollar. You and I, you and me, we got our own sense of time. And at the end of our own sense of time, the 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 timing of the song immediately falls apart back into this like uh descending arpeggio piano part at the end so it's it, this beautiful thing of our days were long our nights are longer count the seconds watch the hours like all of these things about how we mark time how we mark success how all of these kind of external kind of point keepers that we use in our lives and essentially it all boils down to the character that Ezra's writing in this song 
is essentially it's about a relationship. Here's all the things that we can rely on. If I can't trust this relationship, there's nothing. And the way that sets up the B side of this album is is perfect. I, I said this a few years ago and I stand by it. I think that this is my generation's America of a bookends by Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I think tonally they're pretty similar. The way that he talks about or the way Paul Simon writes about like Kathy and Kathy said this and, you know, images like the New Jersey Turnpike and in other parts of bookends too, you know, there's no other times, but the New York times, you know, so like there are very Simon and Garfunkel kind of images and storytelling devices here and a subtlety here until it finally does the vampire weekend thing where he sings, uh, where he did Diane Young too a little bit. Um, just sings like just almost right outside his register, you know, with his voice, like pretty much cracking, it stays in, you know, and it's just, um, an incredible performance from him. And I think, um, even though I said step is probably the best example of Ezra's songwriting, I do hold that Hannah Hunt is probably the best vampire weekend song. And I couldn't explain why, except that I think that it is, it is in the, caliber of songwriting is something as iconic as America by Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. And that's how I received it and I hear it. And I, you know, I, I would have to spend more time with both of them to really flesh that, that thought out some more, but that that's really what I think of it is um, being that um, impactful. Of course, you know, music now doesn't really have that big a reach. Uh, not that America was like a big, you know, hit like um like mrs robinson or something but you know i i think that this is this this is definitely one the band will be like remembered for you know listener we we typically let you listen to just uh, a portion of a song um but as this is makai and i's favorite song on the album we're gonna let you listen to the whole thing and then we'll be back to talk about the b-side of modern vampires of the city Plants move, but I could not believe it. To me and Hannah Hunt saw crawling vines and weeping willows as we made away from Providence to Phoenix. A man of faith said. smiled and told him that was only true of Hannah and we glided on through Waverly and Lincoln Our days were long our nights no longer count the seconds watching the hours though we Santa Barbara 
There's no future, there's no answer Though we live on the U.S. dollar You and me, we got our own sense of time Kaya, we have talked about the A side of this record. The B side kicks off with the song Everlasting Arms. Tell me your thoughts on the opener of side B. Well, I love Everlasting Arms. This was an instant favorite when I first heard the record. It's a great side two opener. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is where it, uh, musically, the Paul Simon stuff is kind of back. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more like what we're used to hearing from from Vampire Weekend, I would say. If you're a fan of the first record, um, this is, I would say, what was kind of missing on that second album. And lyrically, right? Lyrically, it is a perfect song for this album. Yeah, it's a continuation of all these religious themes. It's a play on a hymn mm-hmm. um, that is... Uh, yeah, just a, a really great song to listen to and just vocally and melodically, I think is um just an exciting thing to listen to. The you know, looked up full of fear trap beneath the chandelier. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh man, that's that's real. It's like it's kind of a mouthful, um, but not really because it's so catchy at the same time. Yeah. Which is where I think like Paul Simon's not necessarily that way, but like Elvis Costello can be, which is what we were talking about earlier that like, it does have that Paul Simon sound, but I think that uh, lyrically and kind of melodically, uh, uh, there's a lot more Elvis Costello Mm -hmm. that people have typically give Ezra credit for. Vampire Weekend has the tendency, I mean, not overwhelmingly so, but like most bands do, I think, which is their albums tend to be front loaded. Um, and that's certainly true of modern vampires where the, the album really kind of opens up with like hit after hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting to me about this album is I, I think modern vampires is the vampire weekend album with the strongest B side. And I actually think for as, for as interesting as this album is, in the themes that it plays with Ezra is at his most clever 
as a lyricist on the B side of this album. And I actually think this because of the three tracks that open the B side. So starting with this one. And, and so there's going to be kind of a particular lyric I want to focus on in each of these next three songs, because I think it, it not only kind of ties this theme together, but it ties this theme together in a really clever way. So the beginning of the second verse of everlasting arms. I thought it over and drew the curtain, leave me to myself, leave me to myself. I hummed the DSRA as you played the hallelujah, leave me to my cell, leave me to my cell. So the DSRA is a Latin poem, which is the day of judgment. So I hummed the day of judgment as you played the hallelujah, leave me to my cell, leave me to my cell, which I mean, it, again, it becomes this kind of like perfect way to take these kind of religious themes, these mortality themes, these heaven and hell themes, these judgment themes of the first side of the album. And it brings them so clearly to the front of what the second side of this album is going to be, but in a really clever way, because now it's not just the plane there on the surface. It's going to start. The references are going to get more obscure they're going to get stranger and it becomes for me again, like this is an album that I feel like is full of Easter eggs, which is like the more you dig into the lyrics of this album, the more you dig into these songs, uh, the more they pay off. And so there are little things um, all over this album, both sonically, but especially inside me lyrically that, that for me just make this album and everlasting arms starts it off in a beautiful way. for finger back yeah and and i think it's probably important to mention here you and i in preparing for this episode put together our own kind of 14 track and 28 track best of vampire weekend mixes and sent them to each other and 
on the album that follows Modern Vampires of the City, Father of the Bride, you and I both had the song Harmony Hall in our lists. And of course, Harmony Hall borrows a lyric written for the song Fingerback in the I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. So talk to us about Fingerback. Yeah. uh, For me, this is kind of the moment where you're like, oh, it's the we're having the vampire awakening thing where the side two isn't as strong as the side one. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's not a bad song. No, um, not at all. By by any stretch, but it's not quite living up to the heights of side one. But there are these great moments uh, that happen, um, and this is maybe I would say this sounds like a really, this would fit on Contra mm-hmm. if you glossed it up a lot yeah. more production-wise. But or I think if you stripped it down more, it would sound like something you could put on the self-titled album. Yeah, you know, so like it's it's very consistent with what they're doing. Um, you know, he says, listen to my bum rap, so we're like, you know, more kind of like, you know, the hip-hop stuff, you know, kind of showing up. And... I don't know for me, the most my my favorite part of the of the whole song is probably the spoken word part. Mine too. Uh, yeah, sing next year in Jerusalem. You know the one, hundred and third and Broadway, because this Orthodox girl fell in love with the guy at the falafel shop, and why not? Should she have averted her eyes and just kept uh, staring at the laminated poster of the Dome of the Rock, and then all the blood stuff? It's just like there's something about it that is just cool yeah witty mm-hmm. funny and for me it's it's nothing I'm like oh man when i get the new vampire week and i hope there's a great spoken word part it's just like it's not it's the oh, how's the internet say it's like it's the thing i didn't know i needed or whatever like it's just mm-hmm. like it, it's this kind of great moment that puts like oh like here's here's a new thing for us to do so even though the track starts off like, yes, this is very consistent with what they're doing, for better or worse, and, and it, it feels like it's kind of a dip here, but musically, you can hear how it belongs to the rest of their catalog. But then you get this spoken word part where you're like, oh, that's that's new and different and actually very exciting and um, also very Vampire Weekend, but something that they hadn't done before. Um, yeah, and no, so I... I- I couldn't yeah. agree more on on kind of your sentiments. So if Step from Side A is the first half of the album love letter to hip hop, then this Fingerback is the Side B love letter to hip hop. This is clearly um it, it's it's very fast. Um it's very fast melodically, the lyric is very fast. It is, it is clearly Ezra demonstrating the, um, the technicality that it takes to, to actually be a rapper. And that was obviously something that Ezra played with and, and you know, had, had a, uh, ambitions towards at some point earlier on in his life. Um, but just the speed at which he, he puts this together and in the flow of it works. I mean, you really do hear that that love for hip hop, but kind of like we said already, like it's, it's not necessarily 
sonically doing anything different than Vampire Weekend has done before, except for, like you said, you get this random spoken word break in it. And so again, like I was saying, these first three tracks of side B is is where I think the cleverness of Ezra kind of dealing with these subjects comes in so clearly. So sing next year in Jerusalem. So for any of our uh, fellow Gentile or um, non-Jewish listeners, next year in Jerusalem is a essentially a sung line that is shared together at the end of a Passover Seder. So at the end of a Passover Seder, the idea is you're kind of casting a vision or a wish or a hope into the upcoming year that next year we'll do this in Jerusalem. And so it, it's this kind of like wishful hope of where you'll be next year. And so sing next year in Jerusalem, you know, the one at 103rd and Broadway, this, this kind of picture of sing next year in Jerusalem, like Jerusalem is this place at 103rd and Broadway. Because there's a falafel shop. Yeah. Right. Called Jerusalem. Yeah. Because this Orthodox girl fell in love with a guy at the falafel shop, and why not? Should she have averted her eyes and just stared at the laminated poster of the Dome of the Rock? So, of course, the Dome of the Rock is the mosque that now sits on the Temple Mount where the Jewish temple in Jerusalem once stood. And so it's this one spoken word part that essentially steps in to the longest, most historic kind of religious fight in the world and makes it about just a girl falling in love with a guy at a falafel shop. And I, I, you know, again, I love this kind of playfulness and this is, this is what Ezra's doing all over this album, but especially across these first three songs on the B side is he's, he's bringing in this idea of these huge issues, these huge, you know, the deeply personal becomes universal. And so he's dealing with the existential dilemma and religion and mortality and all of that. And ultimately brings it all back to relationship girl fell in love with a guy like mm-hmm. just that simple. You know, we've talked about the ways in which kind of like the sacred and profane together. Yeah. And, and in his own way, I feel like this is Ezra's really clever way of kind of doing the sacred and profane side by side in all of these songs. And uh, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with this Elvis Costello idea. Like it is sonically clearly still has that Paul Simon influence, but lyrically, come on, this is Elvis Costello. This is well, also, also Prince, you know, the, uh-huh. you know, can the way combining like religion and, and romance, you know, like looking at sign of the times, how on that one album, it can have like, if I was your girlfriend and the cross on the same album, you know what I mean? Like, and viewing those things as not being inherently separate. And it all comes together kind of right here with this, you know, uh, all this history, religion and geography and romantic relationships. It, like it, it's all kind of coming together in this very funny, witty, clever spoken word part, which spoken word parts and songs are typically pretty corny, right? It's not really a typical thing of indie rock to kind of have a spoken word part. It, it's, it, it, it kind of, 
made, that's kind of what makes it consistent with the first half of the album where they're doing kind of like the dying young rock and roll thing or the more like um, don't lie or like with the, like the, or like the early rock and roll stuff in the beginning, you know, this is something you would expect more from a doo-wop song or a girl group song to have this kind of spoken word part. So, or maybe the way like Lou Reed kind of adopted that kind of stuff, like in the, in the seventies, it's not a particularly great song, but there are great moments on it, which is what, what, what keeps the back half of this album afloat is these, these kind of shining moments that keep poking through. we've got these first three songs and you you see that actually the first three songs of side b are all the preface to yahe which i think is the strongest song on the b side of the album um and i love that but but again i think worship you kind of sets that up so well in and again another very very fast song that is essentially just only the way you want it only on the day you want it only with the understanding every single day you want it city with the weight upon it city in the way you want it city with the safety of a never-ending blessing on it we worship we worship you your red right hand and red right hand of course is a a pretty well-known kind of western idea a red right hand is someone who has killed a red right hand is the hand of someone who has killed we worship you, your red right hand. Won't we see you once again in foreign soil and foreign land? Who will guide us through the end? Yeah. I mean, it's a mouthful. It's and it's being sung very fast mm-hmm. to where you can't really tell what it is. It's, it's like um, they figured out like, oh, I don't need all the effects on California English to sound really wild. I've actually trained my voice to be able to do something like this mm-hmm. without any assistance of technology. Yeah. Um, I almost with, wonder though, too, if, if even if all you did was switch finger back, finger back and everlasting arms, that order, I wonder if this would flow better because I, I, I think my, my only issue with finger back and worship you going back to back is that it's, it's these two back to back songs where Ezra is singing in, in, in vertically rapping almost the two, the two fastest lyrics delivered on the album are delivered in back-to-back songs. And so I almost wonder if you had put 
finger back first and then everlasting arms, then worship you. Like, would that breakup give you enough where it didn't feel like two very similar songs back to back? I hear that, but I mean, I like the way, especially if you're listening on CD, Mm -hmm. the way that the first seven songs work like through everlasting arms. I think those are the seven best songs plus yeah. Hey, but uh, it's it's, uh, plus, but but on LP everlasting arms is a side to opener is pretty great. Yeah. Um, So I, I I wouldn't move it, but I I do agree that you, there's something happening like with these two songs, you're like, uh, there's a shift here Mm -hmm. in terms of my, my interest, but back to red right hand, also a reference in Paradise Lost by Milton. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, again a very heavy, you know, referring to to older music, referring to a bunch of different religious texts and literary texts, you know, just a very dense, you know, it's one thing to use that, you know, he could have come up with any other phrase, right, to kind of make the point, but using that one in particular has so many like literary musical allusions to it mm-hmm. that it becomes a very dense line um where otherwise maybe another writer you know may not have kind of had the the knowledge to you know really pack in like the references which makes it a deeper point right if you're if your allusions and your references have have deep roots then you, you end up making a much deeper point yeah um, you, you end up saying more than maybe even not not that you intend to but you say you can say more by saying less if you use heavily um heavily weighted lyrics and, and references again pretty consistent kind of theme here um all as you say kind of culminating in the following track mm-hmm Yahey, and uh, so Yahey, of course, um, <laughs> as a pastor and a uh, former religion major, now would be the time to talk about um, what we generally refer to as the Tetragrammatron or Yahweh. Um, so the in the book of Exodus, um, God speaks to Moses through a burning bush and Moses asks the question of the bush and who shall I say is sending me and God for the first time in the old Testament in both the Jewish and Christian uh, scriptures uh, essentially says his own name and the name that is given is Yahweh or essentially the, um, the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew meaning 
of these four uh, consonants because there are no vowel letters in Hebrew. I am that I am. That is essentially the core of this song, but Yahweh is exchanged for Yahweh. Right, which is, I mean, looking at it, it's um, it's also hey y'all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I still don't know exactly what to make of this song because I almost don't want to take the time to unlock it. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's um, it starts off with the language of of reggae mm-hmm. with, with Zion and and Babylon, right? Very consistent with the their world music influences, but then also. You know, the Vampire Weekend side of it, you know, America don't love you, so mm-hmm. I could never love you, you know, always kind of, you know, this album more than any of their others, any of their other albums kind of gets referred to as like their like most American album. I mean, what, do you, what do you make of this? I song? mean, this is so <laughs> you and I have talked about this in, you know, listeners again. Um, we've talked about this and you can look forward to it uh, in 2024, but Micaiah has just finished his um, first draft of his book on uh, the Clash's Sandinista for 33 and a third. And we're looking forward to the editing process of that. And when that book comes out, um, if ever there were an album I was going to write about for 33 and a third, it would be, either um bob dylan shot of love the last of his three gospel albums or this one and and i think again being a pastor and and having so much overlapping interest um in whether it's dylan's gospel period or this album in the way in which it plays with and thinks about religion um, but this song in particular and kind of everything building to this song is such an interesting thing. And so it's it's worth saying, and I'm going to get into the weeds here a little bit of religious history. And so for our listeners, um, you know, let me be a nerd for a minute and, and I ask for your patience in the process. But one of the major differences um, between what we would consider maybe a Jewish and Gentile understanding of the Judeo-Christian God would be this idea that not conflict necessarily, but wrestling is so built in to the Jewish understanding of a relationship to God that everything is wrestled. Everything is kind of fought with and pulled apart. Um, and, And for so much of the kind of Christian worldview, especially the Western Christian worldview in the last hundred years, it has been defined by this sense of certainty that is really foreign to most of Christian history prior to the last hundred years. And so there's something that I find so fascinating about Yahweh, even, I mean, thinking simply starting with the chorus through the fire, through the flames, you won't even say your name. So, I mean, there's clearly this mosaic illusion that he's making. He's clearly describing this scene from Exodus through the fire, through the same, through the flames. You won't even say your name only. I am that I am. So like in quotes, he's, he's referencing Yahweh. He's referencing the Tetragrammatron and then saying, but who could ever live that way? Yahweh. And that, that idea that 
and and again, Ezra's Jewish. There is, you know, there is a long history um, that he is that he has lived into and that he's a part of. This idea for him, almost that the very idea of the God he has been raised with is incompatible to something he could actually live with. Like who, who could ever live this way? Who could ever live in that kind of relational dynamic? And, and so again, the, the way that Ezra over the lyrics of this album is, is over and over again, comparing the relational dynamic between the divine, his own mortality, life and death, heaven and hell. And then, and then really comparing that to the very personal practical nature of romantic relationships seems, you know, like that, that combination, you know, again, going back to that idea of the sacred and the profane, like the way in which those two ideas live on top of each other in this album, I I find so deeply fascinating. And, and so maybe it's just, you know, the the thing that I have spent my adult life doing and and the interest that I have and the education that I have. Um, but I, I just, I find the honesty of that conflict and especially the way it all kind of culminates in this song um, to be so interesting and to be so um, sincere. And so even, you know, he goes on, you know, oh, good God, the faithless, they don't love you. The zealous hearts don't love you. And that's not going to change all of these things that you see built up over and over again. And then again, he gets to a clever kind of spoken word part outside the tents on the festival grounds as the air began to cool and the sun went down. My soul swooned as I faintly heard the sound of you spinning Israelites into 19th nervous breakdown. And so he's, it's this idea outside the tents on the festival ground. So there's tents. So again, calling back to this Exodus idea, but then suddenly, no, no, he's on the festival grounds. Air began to cool. Sun went down. My soul swooned as I faintly heard the sound of you spinning Israelites into 19th nervous breakdown, meaning this idea that he's not talking about God. Now he's talking about what happened when a DJ was spinning a mixture of the song Israelites into the song 19th nervous breakdown. So that, that idea, again, sacred profane hand in hand, the ways in which the divine or encounters with divine show up in everyday ordinary life. Um, I mean, just all of that's so beautiful. And it almost seems like ending kind of ending the song there almost becomes kind of Ezra's statement of belief where it's this idea of he, he doesn't have to make sense of, of a God who won't say his own name. He's, he's just experiencing life when this DJ puts these two songs together and something in his soul is responding to that. And so Again, a song that I think so beautifully and playfully and cleverly takes the line between the sacred and the profane and then erases it. For for personal reasons, this might be one of my favorite songs of all time for that very reason. Coming from a you know Christian background, you look for redemptive narratives, mm-hmm. um, you know. But so maybe maybe he doesn't 
think of it as a redemptive moment, that that's more of a, a you know a Christian reading, or just a Joseph Campbell reading. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know if I, I see it as a redemptive reading. Just just a um, it's a resolution. Yeah, a res uh, yeah a, a resolution. Uh, also, there's a reference to uh, all the paranoid styles, the, the paranoid style American politics, mm-hmm. uh, which our friends, you know, Les Pinellas and Tim Bracey, their band gets uh, the name from the same, you know, essay that's referenced here. So mm-hmm. shout out to them. All yeah. The paranoid styles. be fair to say if yahey is kind of the pinnacle point that side b is building to hudson feels like in some ways a return to the start of the album um it's it's a it's a much slower song very kind of downbeat um and then really seems to be back concerned with issues of time and mortality um you know of course the chorus over and over again all these never-ending visions over and over again like a prize that's changing hands the time has come the clock is such a drag all you who changed your stripes can wrap me in the flag um it is it is one of the weaker songs on the album and again this is a great album it's not it's not a bad song it just doesn't hold up to the strength of the best songs on this album um, but it feels if if this was an eleven track album, Hudson would feel like a 
really great kind of postlude to the album. Um, as the second to last song, it it still feels that way, and probably because Young Lion is is just such a short kind of musical thought more than a fully coherent song. It does follow through on the promise of the cover of the album. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a very New York song. There have been references to New York um, plenty, uh, but this one, you know, Hudson and Riverside, um, you know, in, in all the internet, you know, we watch the Germans play the Greeks, you know, and you know, so there, there's all these kind of classic kind of touchstones of like Ezra's kind of lyricisms and concerns and the time concept, like you mentioned, that was on, on side one. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that especially on the side two, that's been packed with like those uh, four, like very heavy religious songs to have this one. It maybe it, I don't know. I, I, it feels like they just kind of, it's the, say what it is. It's the last sketch on SNL. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is the weirdest sketch of the night. So after update, uh, after those sketches, and then after the musical guest plays a second time, then we'll, we'll kind of bury our like biggest stretch. Yeah. Our biggest swing. At the this end is, the this is, this is the, uh, this is the sketch before good nights. Yes. So this, this is kind of the final It's like, okay, this is kind of the weirdest one tonally uh, because it's the greatest departure mm-hmm. for them tonally. Um, there's, it's not very catchy. It has like a, a, a chorus that's, it's, it's a good chorus, but it's not particularly catchy. And that's probably just because it's not very upbeat. Um, it is clever. Um, but to follow up Yahe with this, it, it's, it's a, I mean, I was just, I just call it like a seat. You know, it, it doesn't really work mm-hmm. uh, for, for like the statement that the entire LP is making. Yeah. Um, but for, I mean, for the band, there's something about this song that they disagree with that statement, obviously. Um, but I mean, this song's like, this album's 10 minutes longer than any Vampire Weekend album before it. Yeah. And so it wouldn't hurt to take this song off. Um, but that being said, you listen to the production of this song. Uh, the drums are really like kind of chaotic. The mm-hmm. vocal stuff that's happening in the background. This is the stuff that you hear on. I've said it many times before, like the Beyonce track that he does. Yeah, uh, there's some production quality that is consistent um, that you hear there, and with what uh, Rossum does later. So this this is kind of, if anything, this is like kind of where they want to go. Yeah. Oh, for sure. This, I mean, production wise, this is the song on the album that most hints at the direction that Ezra and Rostam will both take producing for other artists. Yeah. So if, if, if Rostam had stayed in the band, Mm -hmm. the fourth Vampire Weekend album, I would, it would probably sound more like Hudson than anything else, Mm -hmm. but that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, We talked about before, you know, Rostam left and father of the bride, he does have some co-write and co-producing credits on some songs. Uh, but you know, and, and, and some of the weirder parts of father, of the bride are more like Hudson. Um, but I, I do think it works if this is a New York album, mm-hmm. I don't even in the cover suggests that it is a New York album. 
and there are definitely some so it it feels like this is a to, to isolate it, it 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 feels like it doesn't flow mm-hmm. musically or tonally again it's not a bad song um no, in, but it, it's in, like when you watch a tv show and it's like a 10 episode series and then like episode eight is an entire episode dedicated to a supporting character. And you're like, Oh, it's an episode about this guy. Okay. What's interesting about that is so Hudson, of course, is the only song on the album, not written exclusively by Ezra and Rostam drummer. Chris Thompson has a co-write credit on this song. And so in some ways, like it's the song on the album that that also features that that is also uh, created by, um, kind of a, uh, n- n- you know, n- not a supporting character, but if, yeah. if the first vampire, first three vampire weekend albums are Ezra and Rostam albums, mm-hmm. this is, this is one of the supporting band members, you know, throwing their hand in it as well. And, and look, kind of like we've talked about it, the drums are fascinating in this song. No, that, that, when you said that, I was like, well, that checks out because we were just talking a second ago, like the drums are really wild. Yeah. Um, so that, that checks out. Um, you know, yeah, you know what? I'm always in favor of, of giving the drummer a song. So now I'm all in on it. Now I'm, now I say, <laughs> keep it. Hudson died in Hudson Bay. The water took its victim's name. Now rivers rise toward Riverside to change their names again. Walked in through the door Said all apartments are pre-war We laughed and asked him for his name He stayed until the end We watched the Germans play the Greeks He marked the 99-year lease Our father's son Which I declined to try and comprehend is such a drag All you who change your stripes can wrap me in the flag So the final track of the album, the one minute and 45 long Young Lion uh, music of course written by Rostam and the lyrics um, credited to Rostam but actually um, heard an interesting interview about this song. And this song comes from a 2009 encounter in Brooklyn um, while Ezra and Rostam were writing material for Contra. They had stopped by a Dunkin' Donuts on their way to the studio and there encountered an elderly uh, Rastafarian gentleman 
in the Dunkin' Donuts that they struck up conversation with. And as Ezra and Rostam headed to the studio, this elderly uh, Rastafarian gentleman said, take your time, young lion. And they went to the studio and Rostam put some music together in with just take your time, young lion, take your time, young lion. Um, it didn't make its way onto Contra, but made its way on to modern vampires of the city. I'm going to be honest. I actually love this song. Okay. Uh, I mean, even though it's like basically like a minuet. Yeah. Of some sort. Yeah. But it's, it's really pretty. It's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Again, it, now if, if Hudson is the, the weird sketch at the end of SNL, this is good. Nights. Yeah. You know, it, it is a, it's an epilogue, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, the bow before they pull the curtain down or something to, to mix metaphors, you know, and that's, that's fine. I kind of like when an album has that. Um, but no, I just, I just like it. I just think it's really pretty and it's even better now knowing that Rostam was not going to continue with vampire weekend. Yeah. So to on their, what we're deciding is their best album to kind of give him the, you know, this one, this one song, the swan song uh, and for it to be on an album that is so packed with production tricks and they're, they haven't really got into just how many they're using all the tools and all the tricks on this album without it sounding like that without it sounding yeah. like Contra really um, so for, for something to be this kind of stripped back this beautiful you know, I think it's a very fitting you know farewell to Rossum's kind of involvement in the band um, Agreed. and I think it's a great way to to close out an album that's, you know, at this point now kind of asking you to, you know, maybe to, to take your time with it, you know, like there's a lot to, you know, a lot to discover, a lot to unpack here. There's no need to, you know, rush and say, which is your favorite, which is the best, which needs to go, which is radio friendly and yeah, take your time with it. Let, let it wash over you. This is just a, a great, a great record. One of the great albums of the last 10 years. And the question then, is this not just one of the great records of the last 10 years, 
but one of the great records of all time. The mm-hmm. top 100, right, for our purposes. Rob, what say you? It's, I mean, it, it's without question in my top 100 of all time. This is, this is definitely a top 50 album for me all time. And I would say on most days, this is a top 20 album for me all time. Um, I mean, for all the, for all the music that has come out that has meant something to me, um, you know, not, you know, I'm, I'm 42. So in my lifetime, there have been four full decades of music. And now we are three decades, you know, three years into my fifth decade of music, but for those four full decades of music, this is my favorite album from an entire decade's worth of music in my life. Um, and it's in, you know, as we talked about in the introduction, like it's not close, like my number two album from the 2010s, there's, there's no day for me where my number two or number three album threaten to take down this album is my favorite album of that decade. What are those albums? So, I mean, some were obvious. So, um, I am a huge fan of Blonde, as we've talked about, huge uh-huh. fan of To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of albums we've done on the podcast already that are within, you know, that are some of my favorite of that decade. I think the Hamilton soundtrack, um, you know, in, in my lifetime, Hamilton and Rent are the only two um, musical cast recording albums that would be among, you know, my hundred favorite albums of all time. Uh-huh. Um, and Hamilton is probably the most unique and especially as someone who grew up, you know, in, in musical theater and, in in doing uh, a lot of acting like it, Hamilton is, is so unique. And then you combine that with it being produced um, by Questlove and Black Thought uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just the, the perfect combination of all those things, but for all the different albums that I love of the 2010s, uh, modern vampires is, is overwhelming me overwhelmingly number one. And so for me, I think it's absolutely deserving of being on our list. I think this is my third season in a row of nominating it, uh, for the list. Um, yeah. And I just, I stand by it. I think this is a phenomenal album. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, uh, you know, it's, I'll tell you, okay, I'll tell you where, where this album gets hurt for me, and it's not the album's fault. So this comes out May 2013. Mm-hmm. I listen to this album, plus the few singles that have come out from Haim, nonstop. Yeah. Then my girlfriend comes back from a trip to India, dumps me, and this album, don't want to hear it anymore. Like, it's too happy. It's too upbeat. Oh, I'm like, this album is not for me anymore. But you know what was the album for me that came out that year? Trouble Will Find Me by The National. Yeah, so so one, Trouble Will Find Me is a great breakup album. So that one, at first I'm like, nothing can beat this. Nothing can top Modern Vampires. There's nothing that's going to be better than this. Nothing can beat this for me. I'm not going to love anything as much as this. And then... The girl I've been dating throughout like all of college breaks up with me. And then I'm like, all I want is the national, uh, all that to say back to the original question, uh, modern vampires. I did put still on my 
my favorite albums, and I think the best one of the best albums of the 2010s. Even though in my personal top 100, it's it's not there. But mm. that's not it's not because I don't like it. It's just it, it has been on other versions of it. But like my most, I mean, I I want my top 100 favorite albums list to change every year. Yeah. Um, so in the, you know, so in, that in in and I think with the exception of maybe. 15 to 20 albums mine does too yeah you know so i'm it's it wasn't there on like the latest iteration which i made just a few months ago um you know and it has been a couple years since i had put on that whatever it doesn't matter uh that being said you know we're making the 100 greatest albums of all time and we're trying to not just you know put all stones who Beatles, Jill, you know, like we don't want to one album per artist and we don't want to just only do legacy acts from the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? We we want to represent the albums that have meant something to us when we were alive, something that we didn't have to, you know, go back and discover or get from our parents' record collections or whatever, read from a list of historic albums, right? Something that came out in our time that meant something to us, right? in that moment and this one meant so much when it came out and 10 years later holds up very well yeah it does uh, if not better um you know so yes uh if if we you know if in 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 pop music has only been like good since like 1955 so we can afford to have at least like 10 albums per decade so if we're if we're going to have 10 albums from this decade modern vampires has to be one of those albums i would say yeah i agree well listener what about you does vampire weekend deserve to be on our list if so is it this album if is it their self-titled album. Is it Contra? Is it Father of the Bride? We want to hear from you. Let us know. You can reach out to us on Instagram at You Forgot One, on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod. Of course, our website is youforgotone.com. And Micaiah, for everyone who's listening to this podcast on whatever platform that they're listening to it on, what should they do? You should like, follow, subscribe, whichever your app or website or whatever tells you to do uh, because whenever we drop new episodes, you know, it can be uploaded to your device or your feed or whatever um, as we're dropping them. Um, Also leave a five-star review that helps other people find the show and it makes us feel good. Uh, You can also do one better. You can write a review to let other people know what you like about the show and let us know what you like about the show so we can uh, keep doing it and improving it. And um, you know, that's all there is to it. Well, listener, you have now heard songs from the entire album, but in the at the end of the song "Yahe," he makes a reference during the spoken word part about has about how Ezra's soul began to swoon as the DJ was spinning Israelites into Nineteenth Nervous Breakdown. And of course, 19th Nervous Breakdown is a song by the Rolling Stones, who we will be cover covering later this season. So we're going to end this episode by letting you hear Desmond Decker and the Aces, Israelites.
Get up in the morning slaving for bread, sir So that every mouth can be fed Yeah. 